Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. If this is your first time listening to V Radio, please visit my website, v or v radio.org. Uh, there you can look at the archives and listen to more shows like this one, um, including uh, interviews with presidential candidates, senators, congressmen, activists, scientists and documentary filmmakers, along with a lot of other great discussions on various books and other activist um, activities here on V-Radio. In addition, you can check out my must-see TV list, which is a list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet that I recommend to everyone who's socially conscious and interested in making a better world. If you like what you hear on V-Radio, you can consider clicking the Donate button and um, chipping in some money there. So... That all being said, um, I want to launch, first of all, into thanking everyone who's supported V-Radio so far, and we are looking for donations for this month, and I'm hoping to be able to provide some great programming for you in the upcoming months. Right now, I am uh, kind of got inspired to enter into a series for alternative presidential candidates. Um, I cannot guarantee that you will agree with every candidate that I bring on, but my goal is to try and kind of provide some airtime for some people that people could consider voting for in 2012 as kind of an act of uh, basically kind of a protest in of itself because you're voting for a non-mainstream candidate. So that being said, um, today we're going to, my guest is going to be Jim Burns, a friend of mine actually from the time that I was a libertarian when I attended the national convention as a delegate for Senator Mike Gravel. Uh, Jim, welcome back to my show. Hi, how are you today? <laughs> Not too bad. It was great to be able to hear from you again. Um, I stumbled across your name on a website, actually, for candidates that were running on the Libertarian Party, and um, I was actually happy to see that you were you were doing it again. So, um, I guess uh, first of all, um, as is my tradition since you know that I started this new line of V Radio, uh, I ask every new guest who comes on the show, you know, what was the precipice? What was the moment in your life that made you go from being just someone who was part of the world to someone who wanted to make it better? Well, back in 1963, I was 17 years old, I read a book. I was a bestseller at the time called Conscious of a Conservative. Uh, I was so impressed with that book that I joined the Young Republicans, and I uh, went door-to-door asking people to vote for Barry Goldwater. Um, I joined the Marine Corps in uh, 1964, and there I met a a corporal named uh, uh, Ben, and Ben introduced me to Ayn Rand. And that changed me a whole bunch. And then I discovered the uh, Libertarian Party in uh, uh, September of 1973. In 1974, I became uh, chairman of the Libertarian Party of Nevada. And uh, at that time, we had a uh, a very difficult time getting on the ballot. We were new. We didn't know anything about uh, politics and how it works. So, uh, um, And in Nevada at that time, it was against the law. To, you could only register as a Democrat, Republican, or nonpartisan in, in Nevada at that time. And I happened to be a registered Republican. So I thought that the best way to uh, promote the Libertarian Party was to run for public office. So I ran for Congress. Now, how was I going to distinguish myself from the other Republicans? Well, one of my friends was an attorney, so I legally changed my middle name to Libertarian so that on the ballot it read Burns, James Libertarian. <laughs> and I ran for mayor, and then we circulated the petition, and then we uh, got on the ballot, and uh, I've been active in the Libertarian Party ever since. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I remember re- you know, meeting you there at the, the Libertarian Party, and you were one of the few candidates that I felt was very honest. And, you know, when I spoke to you, um, I think one of the things that stuck out the most about you that I'd have to say was that, you know, libertarians, especially in 2008, there were a lot of just really angry people, um, basically, that were involved in the party at the time. And and it was very difficult to communicate with them at the time. It was very difficult to exchange. There seems to be a lot of dogmaticism, you know, dogmatism, I guess you could say, within the Libertarian Party. And for supposedly being a free-thinking society, they they were very ruthless with anybody that was kind of outside the mold. Um, What would you say about that? Well, I say that this is a problem that you have with any organization, uh, whether it's a church organization, a PTA, or whatever. Anytime you're dealing with human beings, they have a tendency to uh, uh, to sometimes uh, um, become become irrational. Uh, even if you're doing good things, you can still get into uh, uh, impossible situations. So I say that you 
just do the best you can, and you uh, try to be as friendly as you can to everybody, and uh, and uh, just keep working, just keep plugging at it. And uh, it's very difficult not to go down in the mud with them when they call you names and that sort of thing, but it's uh, something you have to strive to do. Uh, I'm not all that good at it, but I do my best. Yeah, actually, um, along that line, uh, I was discussing with Daryl Perry from the Boston Tea Party, kind of an offshoot libertarian party, and um, we were discussing the fact that uh, it seems as though the non-aggression principle could be rethought to include, you know, verbal and mental aggression. That if we could get that kind of language out of our conversations, that we'd be more productive. So, um, but well, it's a conversation. It's true, but we're we're bucking new human nature when we try to do that. But uh, <laughs> let us try. Uh, that's all we can do. Well. Uh, the one thing that we can do is when people engage in personal attacks against other people, then we ought to call them out on it. That's one thing we ought to do. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm actually working on a documentary for that very purpose. Because <laughs> I realize try, trying to engage with think, people on that level is like playing whack-a-mole because we're all so conditioned to believe that that's you know, an acceptable way to you know, make arguments. So, but um. It's one of the things you have with the Internet is if you have anonymity, uh, uh, people have a tendency to become really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the term that I usually use that I'm probably going to use in the film is that there are things that people are willing to scribble on the inside of a bathroom stall that, you know, when nobody's looking, that they wouldn't say, you know, spray paint on the side of a wall while everybody's watching. Um, but in any case, uh, let's just kind of launch into this a little bit. Um, first, let me ask you, why did you choose to run for president? Well, uh, basically, I believe that libertarianism can improve the human condition. I believe it's very, very, very important. It's the most important thing that a human being can do if they wish to improve the human condition. See, libertarianism, once it's adopted, will bring peace, prosperity, and progress. And I think that I, um, I have some ideas that can hasten a libertarian outcome. Uh, it's not so much that I believe that I can be president. Uh, the reason I'm running is for the message. I believe that I offer some unique pers perspective, even for libertarian. And what I want to do is uh, uh, promote the idea of thinking about things. Uh, I have some approaches that uh, are libertarian, but uh, are not very often mentioned by libertarians. And uh, um, that's the reason I'm running, is to promote those ideas. Right. Now, I guess that's actually an interesting point that, um, of all people, uh, the Socialist Party candidate from 2008, Brian Moore, was teaching me about that because you ask him the question, you know, the Socialist Party has never gotten anyone elected. What made you decide to do so? And, you know, he basically kind of launched into a, you know, a very positive outlook on it was what he referred to as partisan politics is that essentially when you run in situations like that, you're bringing attention to your ideas and that if, um, people want to, you know, pursue the voters that like you, they kind of have to either accept your ideas or lose votes to you. And he kind of went on to point out the various ways that the Socialist Party has, you know, seriously impacted the Democratic Party. Um, you know, I think that most people who, you know, call Democrats socialists on a regular basis would certainly agree with that. Um, and, uh, you know, that it basically amounts to this, is that as a candidate – you get more time and more opportunity to spread your ideas than you ever would as somebody who's not running. So even if you're not going to win, you know, I remember when I ran as a libertarian uh, for Congress in uh, the Michigan's 10th District, um, I, you know, got a lot of invites to radio and TV that I never would have received if I wasn't a candidate. I certainly didn't get as much as, say, you know, most, you know, establishment candidates would, but I definitely got a heck of a lot more attention than I ever would have otherwise. Um, and that, that allowed me to get some ears. Go ahead. This is the one thing that uh, the Libertarian Party offers to the average citizen. If you're not an educator or a, um, a preacher or something where you have an audience, uh, uh, the average person doesn't have a vehicle, and that's one of the things, one of the many uh, uh, advantages about having a Libertarian Party, mm -hmm. especially if, it used, if, it, if it is used properly. And your, your point about the socialists, uh, they won. Uh, their whole platform was adopted by both the Democrats and the Republicans. Now, the thing about politicians is that they need ideas, but they don't have any. So uh, if, if you'll notice, the, some of their best ideas, uh, the Republicans' best ideas, are libertarian ideas, and they've stolen them. Uh, when I first started out, uh, people couldn't even pronounce the word libertarianism, and now they find that they are they are libertarians. Uh, more and more people are admitting that they, they are libertarians, or at least have libertarian leanings. 
so uh, uh, we're winning. It's just a question of how much time we have, and uh, you know, the, and hopefully, hopefully, the whole thing won't go to hell in a handbasket before we can win. Right now, I mean, a lot of uh, libertarian ideas have managed to find their way into the mainstream thanks to Congressman Ron Paul's efforts. Obviously, um, as people often ask, you know, well, what is partisan politics done in the modern way? You know, if it was not for Ron Paul running for president, we wouldn't have been talking about the Federal Reserve. You know, if it wasn't for Ron Paul running for president, uh, you know, we wouldn't be reevaluating our positions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and so, therefore, there's definitely something to accomplish as a politician who's not necessarily going to win. Uh, there's something that to accomplish in the amount of awareness that you get to spread to other candidates. On the other side of the aisle, you had Congressman Dennis Kucinich at the time, who was running for president, who brought a great deal of attention to the illegal actions of you know, George Bush and Dick Cheney, and his pretty much his entire uh, administration was involved in the the fooling of the American people into going along with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, which again was you know a platform that he never would have had if he hadn't been running for president. Um, Senator Mike Gravel was trying to bring attention to his idea, his National Initiative for Democracy plan. Um, and as a president, he definitely gave, you know, presidential candidate, he gave more, you know, attention to that. And I think that, uh, you know, these third-party candidates as well, you know, bring a lot to bear as far as, like, trying to bring, you know, attention to certain ideas. I think that our system in the United States could certainly use more parties. Um, in other countries, for example, like, uh, you know, Australia... The Green Party actually manages to get people elected to Parliament, uh, you know, their equivalent of congressmen over there. And um, in, in some of the other areas, I imagine, you know, the Libertarian parties are more successful as well. But you're very right about how the Libertarian ideals were kind of absorbed by the Republican Party. And I think that Congressman Paul's uh, attitude about that now is to kind of try to turn that around. And um, he's just basically invading the Republican Party with Libertarians, and he seems to be doing a pretty good job of it. One thing I wish that uh, Ron Paul would do is uh, the next time they have they get the four of them together that he jump up and down and say I won I won I won because of uh, the attitudes ch the attitude change towards uh, Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, um, and much a lot of work done in that end. And um, there's some great documentaries about that. You guys can find on my website. And I actually did a uh, interview with the filmmaker of Rethink Afghanistan. He was also the filmmaker for Outfoxed, Rupert Murdoch's War in Journalism, and many other great uh, things. You can check him out once again in my archives, and uh, most of his films are available in my must-see TV list, but lots of great documentaries there. But um, the situation in Afghanistan and Iraq, I guess that's a good segue. Let's, ta let's talk about what would happen in you know, a Jim Burns' presidency in regards to foreign policy. Outstanding. The answer can be found in the uh, Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. The Second Amendment uh, is based on the idea, the fundamental idea of, uh, of uh, self-defense. Uh, the idea is that uh, you can't have the right to life, liberty, and the uh, pursuit of happiness without the ability to defend it. You defend it not only for yourself, but also for, for others as well. Now, the Second Amendment, everybody uh, poo-hoos it because, uh, you know, they talk about it, uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the freedom of a free state. That uh, they, they criticize that. Well, what that was was the Minutemen, and that's what we need. You see, the, the problem is a large standing army is the enemy of liberty. And the reason is, is it's got to be paid for. What I suggest is we follow the Second Amendment and have a well-regulated militia. You have it voluntary, and you have everybody pay for their own stuff. So we could have a uh, we could have a an armed force of uh, uh, thirty or forty or fifty million people, uh, each armed with their own weapons. Uh, I suggest the M14. I learned a whole bunch about it in the uh, when I was in the Marine Corps. It's a very uh, fun weapon to shoot, and uh, the thing about it is is that what you do with it is, uh, um, when I was in the Marine Corps, there was only one thing that I enjoyed. And that was when we went out from time to time, when we shot rifles and we blew stuff up. And uh, I think that uh, um, men and some women would love to uh, go out on the weekend and, uh, and blow stuff up. So uh, if, we re if we dramatically reduce the size of the armed forces and we, we made the purpose of the military to defend the United States 
uh, rather than engage in policing the whole world, well, then we could have a, an affordable military and we could have a large uh, uh, armed force ready to defend the United States should, any, should Mexico or uh, Canada decide to invade us. Um, so that, uh, uh, and the thing about it is you do it cheaply and you do it in a way that it's an enjoyable for the people and you, you solve the problem, which is a major uh, source of, uh, um, of threat to liberty. You turn it from a threat to an asset to liberty. And you do it by the Second Amendment. In other words, having a well-regulated militia, a voluntary force with people providing their own weapons and uh, their own uh, vehicles and their own clothing and their own food. And uh, uh, only people who want to be involved in it are involved in it. Now, oh yeah, absolutely, and um, I think that's actually very similar to what Switzerland's government does. Um, yes. Although, although I guess it's kind of a requirement to be in the militia in Switzerland, but um, as a result, though, the uh, it's been shown through history that countries are definitely very hesitant to invade countries with that kind of policy because you know that every citizen there is going to be armed, um, and it becomes a deterrent. Um, there's actually goes, a, go ahead. It goes uh, to uh, Murray Rothbard's book uh, for um, for a new liberty, I think was the name of it. And uh, what he said was that uh, uh, there was a country, uh, Ireland. Uh, the British had a, a great uh, deal of uh, difficulty in conquering. The reason was they didn't have any government, and uh, the people were armed. And what you did is you you conquered one village, and that didn't conquer anything because as soon as you left, they'd go back to doing what they did before. So the only way that the uh, British, uh, the only way that the British could uh, eventually conquer Ireland was to uh, install a government. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's pretty that's ironic, what, isn't it? And it took them about fifty years to figure it out. You know, so uh, they just kept, uh, uh, you know, it was like a Vietnam situation, you know, where they they had a real difficulty in uh, in winning the uh, uh, against the Irish at first. Um, and as far as uh, Switzerland goes, I agree. Uh, uh, I didn't get the idea from that, but uh, now that you mention it, it, uh, it is parallel to it. The difference is, of course, that uh, theirs is not voluntary, and, uh, and I would advocate a voluntary system. Absolutely. Now, I, I think uh, actually there's an interesting quote from um, Admiral Yamamoto uh, when um, during World War II he said, I would never want to invade the United States. There would be a gun between every blade of grass, <laughs> um, and that goes back to the attitude of deterrence. Um, of course, the majority of my listeners hope that we can eventually get beyond the need for weaponry, but um, we have to acknowledge that particularly in the coming times that are only going to get harder, we're going to be in positions where we have to defend ourselves. Um, and like Go ahead. I'd like to point out what uh, Frederick Bastiat said about it. You know, the the idea is if uh, if you have free trade, and Murray Rothbard talked about this too. Rothbard put it uh, this way: he said, uh, "What we need to do is to have a McDonald's in uh, on every corner in Russia, uh, so that uh, in the in the in the Russian people ought to own parts of uh, of the United States, so that uh, nobody wants to blow up their own stuff." Um, you know, what the 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 key to to uh, peaceful negotiation, peaceful uh, relations with people is trade. It's uh, um, I don't know whether you'd call it free trade, but it's the voluntary exchange between peoples. If uh, if everybody's uh, trading with one another, they they have motivation to be peaceful rather than to uh, destroy things. Because uh, uh, you know, if, once you have an ownership and uh, a vested interest in things, you have a strong tendency not to want to blow it up. Absolutely. Um, now, I guess then to kind of. Uh, finish the concept about foreign policy, um, say that you were elected in 2012, what happens to the current wars in Afghanistan and Iraq? We, we would withdraw, as President of the United States, I'm commander, you'd be commander-in-chief of the armed forces. I would order all of our uh, uh, forces, we have uh, something like 700 uh, bases, uh, uh, military bases around the world, I'd order them all home in a peaceful and uh, 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 I don't, you don't, don't throw stuff away. You pack it up and bring it home, and you do it in an organized and uh, rapid fashion. Excellent. All right. Yeah. And now, what about Iran? What do you think of the current uh, situation with Iran? 
I believe it's their business. And uh, uh, if, uh, if if people are really concerned about it, the same thing with Israel. If you're really concerned about that, spend all of your money. Send them all your money, all you want to. And if you want to go over there and uh, fight for them, you do so at your own risk and for your own benefit. And uh, uh, people ought to be allowed to, uh, if you want to support Israel or you want to support Iran or you want to support uh, wh- whoever you want to support, as long as you do it with your own money and it's done voluntary, that's fine. Um, but if uh, you want the United States government to be, uh, should uh, adopt uh, uh, George Washington's foreign policy, and that is friendly relations with all nations and entangling alliances with none. Excellent. We're going to mind our own business. So then um, uh, we of, let them build the nuclear weapons? Do, one of the things, I, let me make a small point first. Oh, go ahead. One of the things I would do is I would remove all embassies. Uh, I would uh, not allow the United States to have embassies because what embassies are is uh, U.S. territory on a foreign on a foreign nation. For example, if, uh, many of your uh, viewer, uh, listeners might uh, remember what Iran did to the United States uh, uh, under Jimmy Carter. They uh, they invaded U.S. territory and they uh, and they took people hostage. What they did was an act of war. Now, the way to eliminate that uh, threat is not to have embassies. What you do is you have consulates, and the consulates are not your property. You hire the people who, who are citizens of that nation so that uh, uh, if, they, if they take over the, uh, the consulate, uh, they've taken over property that belongs to their own people. Uh, so uh, you eliminate a threat by eliminating the, uh, the um, uh, embassies. Now, you were going to ask something about nukes. Well, yeah, what do you, I mean, mind you, some of these questions are rhetorical, as in, like, I actually don't really care about Iran's nuclear program, but these are the questions that typically get asked to candidates. So, you know, do you allow Iran to develop its own nuclear weapons? Well, the thing that they're not, uh, uh, they're not talking about is the fact is there's only one way that they can stop them from getting those weapons, and that's to invade the country and literally take it over. Any other step will not stop them. It may delay them, but it won't stop them. As a matter of fact, the more steps you take to interfere with their progress, the more determined they will be to have have the weapons. So the United States government is stuck with the, the two choices, and uh, and the choices are uh, that we should mind our own business and come home. Now, so basically then, um, yeah, I definitely like your answers there. Now, what about Israel? Yeah, Israel's a free country. Uh, uh, well, moderately so. They're, uh, as, as governments go, it's uh, uh, probably better than most, but uh, it's still a government. Uh, I believe the United States government should uh, have friendly relations with, uh, with Israel, but not entangling alliances. I don't believe that we ought to send them uh, billions of dollars. Uh, uh, we shouldn't take money away from uh, the U.S. taxpayer to give it to the, uh, to the Israeli government. I don't think it promotes liberty, and uh, you know, I know it doesn't promote liberty. And it's, uh, but if uh, Israelis uh, or uh, Jews wish to uh, give money to the Israeli government, as long as they're given their own money, I got no problem with that. So uh, people ought to do what they want with their own money, and uh, if they w- wish to uh, risk their lives, uh, let them do so at their own risk and for their own benefit. Excellent. Now, I guess um, the, same thing, the same thing is true with the Palestinians too, by the way. No, I was going to get to that actually because it's another hot button issue. You know, uh, do you feel we have a place of intervention between the Palestinians or in Israel, or do you feel that's something we let them work out for themselves? They have to work it out themselves. Our interference only delays the uh, uh, the eventual uh, solution that they're going to have to reach. Uh, it's sort of like uh, uh, we're providing a safety net. Well, what that does is it turns everybody into tight tight rope walkers, if I can pronounce that. Uh, now, uh, you're with a net underneath you. You're not so worried about falling, so you're not you're not as careful as you should be, and you're not as respectful as you should be to uh, uh, to your opposition. Now, we've moved on. Obviously, I think that's a really good uh, uh, treatise on the issue of foreign policy. Now, let's talk about um, let's basically talk more about domestic issues now. We have a serious crisis in the United States as far as unemployment and poverty are concerned. And obviously, um, you know, these are definitely the, the hot button issues that, you know, some of the people on the left and the right really get brutal with each other about. Um, Jim Burns as president, 
what is your answer to the people who are currently having trouble finding jobs now? You know, and what is your you know answer to the issues of poverty? The answer to uh, um, to poverty is liberty. The um, the more human liberty that people have, the more answers that they will come up for uh, come up with by themselves. Government doesn't. Uh, what government can do is it can provide a uh, a uh, a background in which uh, people can uh, work with each other freely. Uh, if the government uh, protects individual rights rather than uh, violates them, uh, people will uh, uh, find prosperity on their own. It isn't the government that uh, causes prosperity. It's the uh, the lack of interference by the government. The less the government is involved with uh, uh, voluntary association and voluntary exchange between peoples, uh, the more prosperous the peoples will be. Uh, any politician who says that they can provide jobs is, uh, well, they can provide them, but the only way they can do it is by stealing the money of some people to give it to other people. And uh, that activity is called thievery and theft and uh, bullying, and uh, and it's not uh, activity that uh, people would should engage with each other with. Right. So basically that's just kind of the libertarian point about why socialist programs would be considered immoral from a libertarian standpoint, because in order to fund them, you have to forcibly take money from someone else um, to then in turn fund those programs. Um, and I guess it's, it's not a, it's not only the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, money is important, but it's uh, it's not only the money. It's the idea that these people are better qualified to tell you what to do with your life than you are. Uh, that uh, that they're more competent, that they know more. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, any time, uh, well, for example, when Obama or or his wife uh, uh, start telling us uh, what kind of food we can eat or uh, what we should do with our lives, uh, uh, I want to puke. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, uh, they're not qualified to tell me how to run my life. Even if I make a mistake, I'm the one who has to pay the consequences for it, not them. So I don't want politicians and bureaucrats to be telling people how to live their lives because they're not qualified to do so. And uh, usually, uh, 99% of the time, uh, they cause more harm than good. Yeah, we definitely agree on that. I would say that you know it really has to do after that with kind of like where do we go from there. I mean, the, the average listener that I have would probably be talking more along the lines of people investing in um, getting you know their own infrastructure to produce what they need uh, and kind of develop freedom, not through at that point needing to take property from someone else, but then instead of focusing on you know being in a position where you're dependent on trade in a really you know diseased economy, you kind of create your own co- economy, a resource-based economy um, within your own communities. And it's not always easy, obviously, and in most cases it has to start with you know some kind of capitalist venture to start with because you need the ability to get the resources to build such a community. Um, but uh, basically, though, I, I understand where you're coming from by suggesting that the state, particularly I'd say something that would ring true from what you just said from Jacques Fresco's teachings, is that in many cases our statesmen are not really qualified to make any of the decisions that they're making. Um, I remember when actually I was running for Congress and I talked to Senator Gravel, I was like, are there any classes or something I should take to prepare for the idea that I might be a congressman? And he's like, no, not really. He's like, the majority of people who get into the Senate and Congress don't have any college educations that are in any way relevant to their jobs. You know, he's like, you know, Ron Paul's an obstetrician. How much do you think, you know, pulling babies into the world helped him as a congressman? You know, and he was right. The majority of statesmen really have no educations based on anything that's supposed to help them with the decisions that they're making. Um, now, uh, did you have anything further to comment on what I've said so far, or do you want to move on to the next topic? Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Um, the deal is, uh, I think that we should look at it as if, uh, um, you know, you and I are trying to live our lives and uh, we're dealing with our neighbors and by and large we have uh, peaceful relationships with them. What uh, I would uh, uh, point out is that the government is acting like a bully. And uh, mm-hmm. there's somebody who comes in and interferes with your life and tries to push you around and that sort of thing. Uh, it's been my experience, my life experience, is that you have to stand up to bullies. If you don't, uh, eventually, um, now how you do it is, uh, is a different matter. It depends on the bully and it depends on your situation. But we, ha- we still have in this country um, 
as much as this country is uh, uh, is harmful, and as much as uh, we have jackbooted thugs, you know, like the IRS agents and the um, federal election, you know, just name the whole list of them, as bad as they are, we still have a vehicle. Uh, the United States Constitution is on our side, and we still have a, a peaceful means to uh, uh, to get rid of the bully. And I think that it behooves everybody because it would make everybody more prosperous and we should do it you don't have to give up your life and uh, and just do this you know just fight the government but um, it behooves people to uh, take this task on because it is important life is better without bullies and uh, let's uh, uh, let's get rid of this uh, uh, bully and uh, the way to do that is through uh, political activism now, we have peaceful means. The Libertarian Party offers a vehicle that can change the world. Once we, uh, once we win, uh, the deal is they have to win all the time. All we have to do is win once. Go ahead. Sure. Um, actually, that's an interesting point. You know, we talked a little bit about that. Um, what would your uh, attitude be about the Federal Reserve? Uh, the Federal Reserve is unconstitutional. It must be abolished immediately. Uh, as soon as the uh, the power is available to eliminate the Fed, the Fed must go. What you do is you, uh, um, because it's a, a banker's Ponzi scheme and it's uh, designed to keep some people rich and uh, as, a me- uh, as a vehicle to steal from everybody. This is the worst Ponzi scheme in the history of the world. Uh, the, the Fed must be eliminated. Now, we don't need to, to take them out and shoot them or anything, but uh, all we've got to do is take away their power. And what you do is you uh, uh, you go back to the U.S. Treasury and you have them issue the currency and you have them have it uh, uh, related to uh, uh, gold and silver, just like it says in the Constitution. And uh, uh, one other thing you need to do is to reform is you need to eliminate legal tender laws so that if people don't want to use U.S. currency, they should not be required to do so. Now, I always thought, actually, that's kind of interesting is that it provides in the Constitution that states are actually allowed to have their own currency as long as they're made out of gold and silver. Yeah, I have no problem with that at all. Anybody, uh, if anybody wants to, uh, if my my neighbor, my neighbor happens to be named Friend, <laughs> and he mm-hmm. happens to be a libertarian, and, uh, you know, this is really cool, but uh, if Harry Friend wanted to uh, uh, issue currency, I got no problem with it as long as he, uh, he doesn't engage in fraud. When he does put out counterfeit uh, stuff, in other words, uh, stuff back not backed by what he says it's backed by. Well, then he ought to go to jail for fraud. But if not, uh, he ought to be allowed to engage in uh, um, any sort of currency he wants to. When I uh, first moved to uh, Nevada, uh, we used to uh, use uh, chips as uh, currency. You'd go to the store and you could use, uh, uh, you know, you could use uh, casino chips as uh, currency. Uh, that lasted for about uh, ten years while I was here, and then eventually the Fed decided that they didn't like that, so they, they stopped that. <laughs> they nipped that in the bud. But uh, uh, many things that the, we used to get away with, you don't get away with anymore. For sure. Um, now, we've talked a little bit then about fiscal policy, and we've talked a little bit about foreign policy. Um, other issues, I think, that affect the president right now, uh, that, well, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and ask this question because this one's commonly asked, but um, I actually think it's kind of a, it should be a misnomer or an irrelevant question, but it comes up in every election anyway because uh, people on both sides of this issue get elected and nothing ever changes about it. But what is your what are your views on abortion? Okay, um, I've read the Constitution several times, and uh, uh, in it I found the Tenth Amendment, and it says specifically that if uh, if it's not mentioned in this Constitution, then it's uh, it's taken care of by the states or the uh, uh, or the uh, uh, or the people. Right. Uh, the issue of abortion should be handled by the states. However, the way the uh, the Constitution is written, uh, many people talk about the idea of uh, um, what is it the, the balance of the checks and balances of the uh, of the United States government. Well, the problem is that that's not what it is. Well, it's not a problem. the 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 fact of the matter is, we don't have checks and balances. What we have is the requirement that in order to enforce law, you have to have the uh, the cooperation of all the branches of government, and that includes juries. So, if you want to, if you pass a law, all the branches of government have to agree with it, or it is not enforceable. So, on this particular issue, the courts don't agree, and uh, they say that you can't enforce a uh, uh, a law against a uh, a law 
uh, imposing uh, sanctions against abortion because of uh, Roe versus Wade. All right, so that means that one branch of the government isn't cooperating with this with this idea. So therefore, um, people cannot be put in jail until the because the courts will release them. So that's uh, so. If you're going to err, you should err on that side of it. So uh, at present, uh, abortion is not uh, um, it's not against the law in the United States, and it cannot be until the uh, Roe versus Roe versus Wade is overturned. Now the problem is that this causes all kinds of dissent, and uh, the court shouldn't have made this decision. Not because I don't agree with it. I I believe that people should, um, you know, a woman who doesn't control her own body is a slave. But nevertheless, uh, if we had 50 different uh, uh, platforms for this, we'd have uh, 50 different solutions, and I think it would make people happier, and you'd be there'd be less dissent. But eventually, the the way to solve the abortion problem is through science. And uh, with that, uh, what I mean by that is, uh, once technology is broken through, so that uh, the, uh, the the fetus can be taken out of the body and still be brought to term, then uh, then we'll eliminate the problem of abortion. That's an interesting take on that. Um, you know, I I've kind of uh, looked at that in many different directions for myself because I understand Ron Paul's position because, of course. You know, the mainstream libertarian party did not really get along with his attitude about abortion being as how he's a Christian, and you know he feels that uh, you know abortion is essentially a violation of the non-aggression principle. Um, so I, I see where he's coming from. Um, I don't feel comfortable with telling people what they can do. I know that I myself would not sanction an abortion, as in like if it was up to me. But it's not my body. But what I would say, you know, to anybody, you know, especially if I'm involved in the child, you know, child obviously in its creation, then it's partially my responsibility, and I would offer to this tell is them. Easy, this is an easy th- thing. I'll for take men care to of say. it. Right. Yeah, this you is know. an easy thing to, for men to say. But what you're doing is you're taking a woman away a woman's choice, not your own. So, uh, um, right, and I'm not suggesting that's what I would do either. Let me let me let me make another quick point. Uh, Go ahead. Libertarians believe in the trial by jury uh, mm-hmm. as a uh, as a hallmark bastion of uh, defense of liberty. All right, uh, just take a look at this, at this from a pragmatic point of view. If uh, uh, if we truly had and people understood the right to trial by jury, could you get a conviction almost anywhere in the United States by a jury? Uh, uh, to impose uh, abortion laws. Remember that it takes uh, a unanimous uh, um, uh, decision in order to get a conviction. So it's about 8.3% of the, uh, if, if 8.3% of the population uh, disagrees with the law, the law cannot be enforced because the jury would acquit. Uh, it's a- actually the percentage is 8.34%. Um, if uh, if just 8.34% of the population disagrees with the law, then the law cannot be enforced if the people understand their rights and their duties and their responsibilities as members of the jury. So those who advocate uh, abortion laws must also understand that they must be enforced through the, uh, uh, through the jury system. And how could you get in a conviction of a doctor who, per, uh, who performs abortions if uh, uh, 8.3% of the population disagrees with them? Right. Well, yeah, and I guess what I was saying is, is that my the best I could offer would be to say that if they did decide to carry the baby to term, you know, that I would take responsibility for it. But obviously, I can't tell them what to do with their body. I just wanted to clarify that so my listeners didn't well, cringe. The, the but th- yeah, the thing about it is, you need you need to have debate about this subject, uh, mm-hmm. so that people uh, the mere debate about it would cause it might cause some women to t- take a second. Uh, uh, second stab at it because uh, there are many people I know whose mothers uh, uh, had to make that decision and they decided that uh, to have the child and God blessed them for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not to, uh, the problem I have with the other side. The uh, pro-abortion people is they they uh, uh, many of them act as if this is a good thing. Abortion is not a good thing, but uh, uh, it's a lousy form of birth control. It's just uh, it's really uh, stinky. What we need to do is to uh, use science and work our way through this problem. This goes to Frederick Bastiat. The way to solve problems is through liberty uh, and allowing people to make their own choices and, and solving their own problems. Wouldn't it be better if uh, the people who are uh, against abortion would uh, take extraneous efforts? If you really think that this is murder, you should take extreme efforts to try to help women not to have abortions. 
uh, provide them with incentives. One of the things that we could do is uh, we could uh, pay women to uh, to have children. If uh, if you, if they're pregnant and uh, uh, they wish to uh, uh, receive money, let the people who uh, are opposed to abortion pay the woman not to do it. I think bribery is a perfectly good uh, uh, means. And if uh, people wish to voluntarily give their money to a woman so that she would com- proceed with uh, having the child, God bless them, everybody involved. And if they will take care of the child once it's born, God bless them double. You know, So we have to find peaceful means to solve this problem, not to, uh, not rely on government, not to rely on force and uh, uh, of either stripe. So uh, the, the key to it is liberty. Excellent, excellent. Now, um, let me ask you some more questions in the time that we have left, obviously. I think you've done a great job of articulating yourself. This is one of the reasons why I always look forward to having you on the show, uh, because you as a libertarian, you're, you know, you're really excellent at articulating this stuff and making it feel rational. Um, you know, my listeners have had some experiences with other libertarians who were less than rational. Um, so all that being said, uh, can I interrupt just one second? Go ahead. Uh, that's definitely true. Libertarians mm-hmm. are human beings. Uh, they're subject to the same errors and, uh, and uh, um, weaknesses as everybody else is. Uh, just because you're a libertarian doesn't make you better than anyone else. What it does is it puts you on the right side of the issue. And uh, if you're if you're honest and straightforward, even if you even if you make mistakes uh, with libertarianism, you'll be better off. Thank you. No problem. Uh, the war on drugs. Hmm. It's not a war on drugs. It's a war on people. People who take drugs uh, and take specific drugs. The idea about a war on drugs is ridiculous. Uh, Americans, uh, um, I got a whole bunch of drugs right in front of me. Uh, one of them is acetylsalicylic acid. Um, the thing is that, uh, and it's a uh, uh, a body changer. Um, that's aspirin, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. The 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 thing about drugs is that uh, uh, what they do is they uh, they have unintended consequences for their actions. The war on drugs doesn't stop drugs. It's uh, it uh, merely makes them. Uh, uh, cause a whole bunch of so- social problems, uh, problems of uh, of uh, people uh, that uh, wouldn't ordinarily be there. Now, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you can make it a capital crime. Drugs are still going to be used and taken. Uh, now, the question is, how do we have less harm from it than uh, than more harm? And the way to do that is to uh, uh, get the government out of the business completely, and uh, and to. Um, you know, libertarians are fond of uh, using the uh, prohibition, uh, um, you know, the prohibition of the 1930s and 20s uh, about, uh, um, uh, as an example, about how it doesn't work. Well, one of the things that isn't pointed out often enough is the fact is that before the prohibition movement, um, the, the prohibition movement was put, a, put forth by the, by, by the progressives, um, by the, uh, um, the people who believed in government. Uh, before that, there was a thing called the uh, the temperance movement. The temperance movement was good. Uh, the prohibition movement was bad. And what the uh, the prohibition movement did is it killed the temperance movement. We don't have a temperance movement in the United States anymore. And alcohol should be fought. The the thing about alcohol is it causes a great deal of damage to the uh, to the citizens of the country. And we don't have an effective uh, uh, temperance movement, telling people not to uh, engage in the activity because alcohol can be, especially alcohol can be addictive, addictive and it can be it can cause great damage to not only the person that's taken it, but to the uh, to the people that they're associated with. We're much better off if we have less alcoholism than if we have more. And the same thing with uh, certain drug use. We'd probably be better off if we had less of it. But what they've done was the prohibition movement is they killed the temperance movement. And people don't believe the government when it says something because they lie. They don't tell the truth. They don't tell the truth about marijuana. They don't. They don't even know the truth. I don't believe. Well, some of them do, but uh, um, they they have studied it. But uh, they won't let. Uh, they lie about their results. They're they're not to be trusted. The government has a vested interest in having these laws because it keeps them uh, employed. We spend billions and billions and billions of dollars each and every year uh, with this program. The bureaucrats and politicians have a vested interest in keeping these programs going because that keeps them in power. It keeps them in money. 
we got to stop that. Now, if you could choose to debate any of the mainstream candidates who are currently available, Republican or Democrat, um, which would you choose? Um, flip a dime. Anybody will is willing, I'd be happy to. Right. I'm just saying, like, you know, if you could pin down, say, Romney or Santorum or uh, Obama. I think they're all, they're all about the same. I think I'd have uh, equal luck with any one of them. Uh, the one that I don't like the uh, the one that I like the least in this present crop is uh, is Santorum. I don't like Santorum, uh, but uh, and I'd probably have some fun with him. But uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of any of the rest. Uh, I even take on Ron Paul. Now, Ron Paul and I disagree about some things, but he's on the right side of the uh, uh, you know. Just be, uh, I believe in uh, free minds, and I believe in uh, uh, that we're not all going to agree about everything. So just because I disagree with somebody doesn't think that I, doesn't mean that I don't like them. As a matter of fact, uh, some of my best friends, I hate to say this, have been liberals. Mm-hmm. That I can't. That no, <laughs> I totally understand, um, and I think that uh, honestly that happens to me, and it even happened to me when I was a mainstream libertarian. Because some of us conservatives are real jerks. That's <laughs> you know that's some what you get out of. Libertarians are real jerks too. No, I agree absolutely. That's I, I like I talked to you about that off the air was the. The Michael Badnerick speech at the the last convention um, was really, uh, you know, it got it like a, a mental standing ovation for me because a lot of the things that he said about what was wrong with the Libertarian Party were very true at the time. Um, and um, actually, that's another interesting question. I'm actually on the uh, uh, the board for the uh, or the you know the committee for the uh, Boston Tea Party. Would you ever consider uh, seeking the nomination? Uh, I believe in, uh, in tactics and strategy. I think that the Libertarian Party ought to choose its candidate much earlier. Uh, we used to do it on, I believe, it's Labor Day is in September. Is that correct? I uh, so. We used to, yeah, we used to select our, our candidates in September of the year before the election. Um, the reason we primarily did it back then was because of ballot access. It was you had to have a candidate in order to get on the ballot in many states. So they've changed it. Uh, to, I think we got to go back to that uh, that. Uh, that framework, and if we have our candidate, our candidate ought to seek the nomination of every political party that they can. Mm -hmm. uh, our nominee ought to go after the uh, Green Party's nomination, it ought to go after the Tea Party, it ought to go after the Democrat, it ought to go after the Republican. Um, if we had our candidate, say for example, uh, Gary Johnson would have, been, uh, would have been selected by us in September. Well, he could have continued to seek the Republican nomination. Uh, better yet, what he should have done was to seek the Democratic nomination. He should have ran against Obama in the Democratic primary. Even though uh, uh, all it takes, uh, say he say he only gets 15% uh, of the vote or 10%, if it's a two-way race, uh, there's a whole bunch of dissatisfaction with Obama. Nobody's running against him. We, uh, we should be running against him. Uh, Gary Johnson ought to be running the Democratic primary what, uh, and taking on his... Uh, his issues, for example, Obama says that uh, you know he ran as the peace candidate. Well, Gary Johnson ought to take him to task. Uh, what's, uh, Obama said that he was going to uh, get us out of Guantanamo Bay. Uh, well, Gary Johnson ought to take him to task. Uh, Gary Johnson ought to uh, uh, take Obama to task about the drones. This uh, this murderous president that we have is killing people by the by the thousands um, without any uh, constitutional authority. And uh, uh, liberals don't like that. Um, you know, there's a, and he could take on the drug issue. Um, perhaps he could build the uh, Libertarian Party within the Democratic Party by being seeking its, its party's nomination. And we could do the same thing against the Republicans if the Republicans are the incumbent. You know, right now nobody's challenging the uh, uh, the incumbent president. And if we had a presidential candidate uh, who was running in the Democratic Party, he could build the Libertarian Party and. And uh, and perhaps get some more votes in the uh, general election. Right, that's one strategy I advocate. I remember talking about strategies with you actually that the Libertarian Party. I mean, for me, I felt that they should actually put all the energy that they've been putting into their presidential campaigns into uh, just getting one congressman elected. I mean, just having I'm one. I'm sorry, I I have to disagree with you. Yeah, I you know. Have to go where the you have to go where where the interest is. You can't right. tell people where they got to put their money. Now you can advocate. That uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to spend my money on the presidential campaign. You can advocate that, but you can't tell them. And oh you, no, no, and I do. Uh, in, in the purpose of the uh, National Libertarian Party, the National Libertarian Party only has one purpose. 
mm-hmm. and that's to nominate a candidate for president and vice president. The state parties should have all the uh, power to do all the rest. Uh, the national party shouldn't do anything except be concerned about you can have a national platform, but its major concern should be about the president and the vice presidential nominee of the Libertarian Party, the National Libertarian Party. It should try to help state organizations form if they're not formed, but it should mind their own business if they're told to mind their own business. The uh, the National Party should uh, only be concerned about the presidential nomination, and they're not concerned about it. Right. Uh, there won't be there won't be major debates. They'll be more concerned about who is going to be elected uh, national chairman than who is elected president, who is uh, nominated as our candidate for president. Well, they've got their priorities in the wrong place. Well, sure. No, and I guess like you know, before you cut me off on that, I just um, I was suggesting you know that we could get. We could get our energy behind one congressman. We had this conversation before, actually, and, and you had an alternative idea that I thought was interesting, is that what if the Libertarian Party um, concentrated on their presidential candidate just winning one state, you know, even just yeah, one uh, state? That's the hit them or they ain't strategy that I had. I developed that back in the uh, um, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the reason I came back. Uh, well, never mind. I don't want to tell that story. But at any rate... Uh, <laughs> um, the hit them where they ain't thing is a uh, is a good idea. We can we can do that. It's the second thing you can do. Uh, the the other thing, uh, the newer strategy I have is called uh, uh, the ninety three percent solution. You can find all these uh, uh, these essays on my website at uh, jimburnsforpresident.com. That's jimburnsforpresident.com. Once you get there, you have to uh, click on learn more about Jim Burns, and then you get to my website. And I have uh, uh, several essays, and one of the uh, the short version is called the freeway. The long version is called the 93% solution. And uh, with that, I outline how the Libertarian Party can change the way it's perceived. That's the first uh, goal we have to have. The second goal is how we can start to affect the outcome of the elections. That's the second goal. And the third goal is how we actually win and what it is that constitutes winning. Uh, let me just briefly, this doesn't take long at all, tell what the Libertarian Party needs to win at the national level. It isn't much. We need to win the presidency of the United States and 34 United States senators. What I talked about before is it takes the co-op, uh, you know, we don't have checks and balances. What we have is you need the cooperation of all the branches of government in order to enforce law. If we uh, elect the, a Libertarian president, the the major responsibility of the President of the United States is the Chief Law Enforcement Officer of the United States. The President of the United States takes an oath of office to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The vast majority of the laws that are uh, currently on the books are unconstitutional. If I were President or if we had a Libertarian President, the President should not enforce non-constitutional laws. So that would eliminate about 93% of the laws that we have on the books, and you would have a libertarian victory. Now, the reason that you need 34 United States senators is that the only way that they can stop him is to impeach him. And it takes 34 uh, – if you have 34 United States senators, they cannot successfully remove the president of the United States. That's another strategy. That's The one thing you have to do is you have to know what it is it takes to win, and that's what it takes for libertarians to win. Well, that was a very galvanizing speech. I want to thank you with that. Um, we actually were when I asked you that question, though, I was referring to um, the original one. It was the idea of would you be willing to seek the the nomination of the liber- of the uh, Boston Tea Party? Um, I guess so. No. Th- you would. Uh, I'm you not would willing at this time because the rules are set up that uh, if if I did that, I would be sought. I would be uh, thought of as a traitor to the Libertarian Party. Right. For example, I am currently uh, uh, 86 from the Libertarian Party of Nevada. They won't let me run for anything. Uh, they voted me out. I can't even be a delegate uh, with my history. If you go to my website and you look at some background, you take a look at my history within the Libertarian Party and you, of Nevada, and you tell me that I shouldn't be a delegate from the state of Nevada right. uh, to the national convention. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. I should get a standing ovation every time I walk in the room. But uh, <laughs> be that as it may, that's just ego, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, the, the the reason I bring that point up is that uh, – um, you know, if if I do that as a matter of tactics, it would be uh, ruinous for me. I couldn't continue in the Libertarian Party, and the reason I want to continue in the Libertarian Party is because the word fits me. I am a Libertarian. I don't care if the Libertarian Party is not Libertarian. I am, and right. that's the word. Uh, that's the title that I have, and it uh, it fits. I'm, that's where I'm going to be until I'm on the wrong side of the uh, of the grass. Can I tell you a real quick story? 
Go ahead. Uh, talking about the wrong side of the grass. My uh, my father passed away uh, oh ten or fifteen years ago, and uh, my mother um, got us. Uh, we have a plot up there in uh, in Talon, Oregon, and uh, my mother decided that we were going to uh, um, get our tombstones. So we uh, uh, we per- I have my tombstone purchased, and it's all uh, it's all. Uh, uh, it's all made out, and on it it says uh, uh, um, James Libertarian Burns, born February 1st, 1946, died in that blank right now. I'm I'm thinking about uh, 2090. Is uh, you know I don't know yet, but at any rate, uh, under that it says, uh, "Give me liberty or give me." Oh well, <laughs> that's, that's on the bottom of my tombstone. <laughs> Well done. Um, well, Jim, uh, one of the reasons why I was, like as I said earlier, and I, I was talking to some of the people in the chat room about this because they said that they're impressed with you and that they definitely like your attitude as a libertarian, um, was that there was something that I've said, like even you know about Congressman Paul and some of the other politicians, the very few that I like that have actually managed to get elected, is that if a man is sincere, if I can tell that he really cares about you know what he feels and you know he actually has real passion behind what it is that you know motivates him to become a statesman i use that word rather than politician um you know somebody who's really interested in actually making the world better then that is inspiring to me even if i can't agree with all of their ideas um and fortunately enough uh, i actually do agree with a lot of what you say and i was very happy to have you on today um, and i do want to ask one final question in the 4 minutes or so that we have left um I remember when this question was posed to Ron Paul, actually, at one point. Um, if you were not running right now, who would you vote for? Well, it depends on what the uh, availabilities are. Uh, for example, I'm probably going to vote for uh, uh, Governor Johnson in the uh, in the general election. Right. And I can't I can't vote for anybody. Uh, uh, for example, in the I'm going to probably be a delegate to the national convention. I'm going to vote for me first, um, and I'll vote for uh, Governor Johnson probably second. Uh, I think he'll be the among the best candidates that we've ever had. I don't think he'll be the best uh, because I have a very fond place in my heart for uh, uh, Roger McBride. Uh, mm-hmm. I I love the man as a uh, as a mentor and as a uh, um, you know I just loved uh, uh, Roger. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm so sorry he's gone. And I also liked uh, Ed Clark and David Berglund. I thought that they were excellent candidates. Um, but uh, um, some of the candidates that we've had recently, I have not been a big fan, but I voted for them nonetheless. But uh, you know, because they have the libertarian label, and I'll vote for the libertarian. Any opportunity I have to vote libertarian, I will vote for them, even if I hate the person personally. Now, um, so basically, then, yeah, you know, actually, I was very happy when you told me today that Governor Johnson was seeking a libertarian nomination because I enjoyed him in the Republican debates, and I was very disappointed at the way he was treated and. You know, it definitely bodes well for the Libertarian Party now. You know, now you guys have had former congressman, former senator, and former governor, um, you know, uh, vying for your nomination. Um, is there anyone currently running for the Libertarian nomination that you would put in the same category as, like, you know, say a Wayne Allen Root or a Bob Barr, just someone that just drives you crazy? I don't know the other candidates at the present time, so I... Um... I, as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're, I've looked at their websites and I have no problem with them. Um, you know, they're libertarians, they're just not as. Uh, uh, I think that if you compare their website, please go to my website at jimburnsforpresident.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. Once you get once you get there, please click on uh, learn more about Jim Burns and take a look at my website. I think it's unique. I think it's different. I think it's uh, an approach to intellectualism. It's uh, uh, you have I have short essays, but I also have long essays. Uh, I grew up reading books, so uh, um, you know I'm I'm bitterly disappointed. Of, my friends keep c- telling me that I'm too long-winded, and I've made every effort <laughs> to make some of the essays short. But uh, I think that you need to explain this. Sure. No, thank you actually, because that reminds me. I was supposed to ask you for your website so that you could promote that. And um, thanks again. That's jimburnsforpresident.com. Yes, but once you're there, you have to click on learn more about Jim Burns. Got it. Well, thanks again for being on, and um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Please visit my website, v-radio.org, and consider a donation if you liked what you heard tonight or on other shows. 
and I will be continuing my uh, series on um, exposing alternative candidates for president. I currently have Rocky Anderson uh, set up to come up on the 20th, thanks to um, uh, one of my listeners' requests, uh, Fancy Cat, that would be you. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward now also to bringing on some of the Socialist Party candidates and the Green Party candidates. And if you have anyone that you'd like to see featured on V Radio, please don't hesitate to let me know. Thanks again for being on, Jim. Thank you. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is John Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.